Welcome to the Good Bad Mad podcast, a show that's here to share the ins and outs of creative careers, connecting the aspirational with the experienced, with your host, me, Meg Ellis. My guest for this episode is the gorgeous Ronke Adekaloja. She is a young actress best known for Alex Ryder and three sisters that played at the National. She tells us how EastEnders' Phil Mitchell started her on this creative path and now the lessons she's learned along the way. Hope you enjoy it. Hello. Ronke, hi. How are you doing? I'm good, I'm good. How are you? I'm not too bad. Whereabouts are you? I'm in Bristol. Nice. Are you enjoying the newfound freedom? Um, not particularly. We're working. <laughs> oh, you are? What are you working on? Alex Ryder season two. How exciting. Have you been filming for long? Um, we've been filming since the end of January. So yeah, I guess so. Wow. Yeah, it's been kind of strange because like, especially from what day are we on? Wednesday from Monday. The amount of people that were just outside had just literally just went up like 70 percent it's just yeah. like oh it's quite overwhelming isn't it <laughs> yeah it's really interesting because I was like wow so you all were in your house this whole time great good for you <laughs> well well done I can't wait to see it when's it coming out we don't even know we don't this is the thing because of COVID we don't actually know mm-hmm. how any of this is working like because we were, sh- were shooting down in Bristol, we all had to like move from London for a bit. It's just been strange. So we just don't know when, where, how, what, why. Yeah. <laughs> has has COVID good. changed filming quite substantially? I'd say so. It's really interesting because I feel like people are more present in the sense that they're more actively present with you mm-hmm. because of, you know, the danger of um, transmission. <laughs> um, but yeah, also like a lot of things like eating in scenes you can't do anymore. Yeah, so you can't like having a dinner scene or something written in the yeah. in the show, you kind of look like, okay, how am I gonna occupy this time if I'm not <laughs> eating? <laughs> so it's oh. kind of, it's a new challenge, but yeah we're getting it well I'm so glad to hear um season two is under the wet underwear I think season one was such a huge success oh thank you I was um when I was younger I I read the books I I used to steal them off my brother (laughs) and when the film came out it was so disappointing (laughs) yeah oh my gosh right when we went to comic-con it must have been October 2019 because I can't remember doing it last year. Um, this kid <laughs> came up because, you know, they have these like moments where people can come up on the mic and ask questions. This kid literally was like, because the first movie was so awful and embarrassingly bad, where, where did the idea come to make the TV show? <laughs> we yeah. were just like, yeah. <laughs> Were you aware of it when you signed on for it? I didn't know this movie existed. Like I did an IMDb like search mm. and I saw it, but I didn't, I just didn't put two and two together. It wasn't something that was on my like research list yeah. before I started shooting. Mm. It was when I started shooting that I realized how bad apparently that movie was. I think but, I just, just because they're so loved by that kind of 
young teenage generation um yeah I think they were just disappointed but I, th I think the the first series you guys did completely made up for it oh, good. I'm glad <laughs> is it um this is kind of your your first big tv role isn't it um actually yeah like regular yeah definitely a regular thank you so much for taking the time oh no at all. so we're here to talk about your career journey so far which we're very excited to hear about because we like to talk to people at, at like different stages in their journey and um find out how the kind of reality is versus the expectations of what it was going to be so when when did you first think that you were going to be an actress um my mom put me and my older brother into stage school it was called Anna Shear at the time I think it's called something else now and um alongside the stage classes they had an agency if I'm remembering correctly um and my brother was he was like a big hit with the agency so he got lots of gigs especially with like the BBC he was the young Ainsley Harriet that's probably the one I remember the most mm -hmm. going to the studio and watching my brother do like this double acts kind of thing with Ainsley Harriet and he was like the smaller version and um I felt so completely ignored <laughs> that I was like I'm gonna do this better than him <laughs> for the rest of my life it was a complete it. competition sibling <laughs> rivalry sibling rivalry and then um there was s club s club seven juniors or something like that yeah and there was a black boy in it that looked so much like my brother that i genuinely think i convinced myself it was him <laughs> <laughs> so imagine the rage yeah he's not only the young Ainsley harriet he's also an s club seven juniors Um, so yeah, then my brother, so yeah, I just ended up getting involved with like lots of extracurricular activities, mm -hmm. the Jack Petrie Foundation, um, this thing called London Talent, NYT, mm -hmm. just as much as I could just do and be. And I think I noticed pretty early on that, um, people thought I was quite good at it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and, um, I think I definitely rode on that for a while. Well, you can tell, can't you? People get excited around you. People get excited, but they also do this thing. I don't know. I'm, I'm like, sorry if I swear a lot, Meg. No, you're fine. <laughs> I'm from East London, so it's a swooping generalisation, but you know what I mean. Um, yeah, people blow a lot of hot air up your ass, right? Yeah. Um, and when you're young, that can lead you to, it can make you quite fearless, quite mm -hmm. fiery, um, but also believe that you deserve much more than you're getting. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay, yeah. So yeah, and then I, I, I knew pretty early on that I didn't want to go to university. Drama school wasn't really a part of my consciousness at the mm -hmm. time until my, um, drum teacher Miss Cook gave me some leaflets for like art ed and lipper 
which mm-hmm. is in Liverpool. And um, yeah, I went and did lots of research. And then I came across like Drama Centre, Guildhall, RADA, mm-hmm. Lambda, all these different places. And I kind of went over to my um, drama teacher. Miss, why didn't you tell me that, you know, I could go to RADA because obviously Steve McFadden went there and that was the most important thing to me at the yeah. time. Um, and my drama teacher was like, oh, like, I just didn't, I just didn't think you'd be interested. And, you know, it's really, really hard to get into those schools. Mm. And I was like, so? In my head going, so? I'm the best. <laughs> like, what do you mean? I can't get into those schools. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I just kind of was like, well, all or nothing here. Yeah. I'm going for RADA. I love it. <laughs> and then, for me, it happened. There is almost... Um, no reason not to go for it. The worst they can do is say no. The worst they can do is say no. And like, if anything, you'll learn what it is that you need to be doing and what it is you need not to be doing in terms of like prep and storytelling. What was it that drew you to Rada? Phil Mitchell. Yeah. Just I, him. I just, that was it. <laughs> it was, that was it. Phil Mitchell, Phil Mitchell and then Sophia Conedo. Mm-hmm. and just more people that just I saw came out of the school Anthony Hopkins and all the people that I knew of yeah because they shaped my life mm. in some way do you know what I mean mm. I know it sounds really um <laughs> um it just sounds a bit funky that I'm like yeah Phil Mitchell shaped my life but that was the first you know encounter I had with storytelling really mm. It's amazing the impact that these things can have on have on you. Yeah, and also how invested people were mm. or still are in those stories that we, you know, I never knew. I genuinely thought Albert Square was down the road. Like I thought this is something <laughs> that is happening and they just happened to be catching it on camera. I never realised how powerful storytelling is. If they, they, this was, you know, we go into school like, after the weekend, it'd be like, wow, <laughs> it's that day wow i love it <laughs> wow that's all i can say wow rada i mean it's quite a traditional school i guess um compared to some of the others it's majority theatrical training is that right yeah and was that what you thought you would go into as stage i mean i know you do do some stage <laughs> um I think stage was the only thing that I really wanted to go into. Mm. I hadn't had, apart from obviously watching my brother, I hadn't had a personal um, engagement with storytelling on screen. Mm. Um, But luckily for me and my secondary school, we got to go to the theatre. Maybe not a lot, but in my head back then, I felt like we watched Blood Brothers, we watched... August Osage County at the National. We, what, I felt like my school really took care in making sure we got to see live performance. Yeah. So it's what I, I knew. And obviously it was what I got to do in like secondary school for A-level. Yeah. So I was like 100%, I want to be um, a stage actor. To be fair, I don't even think I had the screen actor bit in my psyche I just wanted to be a stage actor yeah and that's I mean that's what actor was to me just getting on the stage 
Um, and then it, I think the curriculum's changing now that I'm not sure, I'm just, I mean, I kind of hope it is, but we did a term on, <laughs> on screen work. So we watched some stuff on the telly box and we made our own short film mm-hmm. and all these things. And it was all right. Like I didn't, I didn't hate it. Mm-hmm. I was just a bit like, well, this is okay. When do we do plays? When can we do another play? <laughs> and then obviously graduate and you realize that, oh, yeah. I need to do some screen. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they've, they used to be so separate, didn't they? Um, Theatre actors versus screen actors. Um, but now they're so interchangeable. You do need to be able to do both very fluidly, I think. Yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Were you, I mean, does your, does your brother still act? No, my brother joined the Navy when he was 16. So he's still, he works at the Navy. Oh, amazing. Amazing. So yeah. you had no competition. <laughs> I mean, the world became my competition. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, I got older and realized that that wasn't, it, it, it fueled my, my, my engine for that time. I needed it to, but it wasn't going to sustain me. I can't just keep yeah. competing to hope, um, hoping to get jobs. No, I think I learned at drama school as well. I learned at drama school, but it took me a while to implement it, was um, the importance of the story that it is you're trying to tell. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there are some actors, many actors probably, lovely actors too, where the, the job is about them and how they're seen. Mm-hmm. But there are a lot of actors where it's about the story. And I think I prefer telling the story than caring about how I look. <laughs> I I feel like that's the right way around (laughs) with actors I I tend to find that as as people training aside but as people they're very empathetic and um just emotional they feel very deeply is is that what you kind of found within yourself when you were growing up and that led you to oh my goodness I mean, yeah, in hindsight, I wouldn't have told you that when I was growing up. When I was growing up, I genuinely thought nobody understands me. Everyone's a bit mad. Everyone's really disconnected. Mm. And I remember, because this strange thing happened, I think in my like mid to late teens, where because I was good at the acting, everyone just thought I was acting all the time. Mm. And it was so frustrating because I could be really upset about something and they'd be like, oh, Rox is just acting. And I'm, just, yeah. I'm really not. Like, I really need you to help me. Yeah. My, like, I was so quick to, and I, I don't think that's a bad thing, but I was so quick to release emotion, mm-hmm. whereas my mom is more, um, it'll take her a minute. Mm-hmm. She needs, she'll have to steal herself first before she lets go. Mm. So me and my mom used to um, butt heads because she just thought I was acting all the time. <laughs> but now I realize, oh, it's because you're feeling things, you're feeling things, you're constantly feeling things and constantly, probably in a less healthy way, mm. building narratives to things that aren't actually there. Mm. <laughs> 
I did that a lot. Like if I'd see a stray dog, I'd be like, oh my gosh, this dog's dead. And then it got kidnapped. And then, oh my God, the dog. <laughs> I get you. I get you. I'm exactly the same. I always suddenly, a, a sentence that somebody says becomes to this whole backstory meaning about every emotion they've ever had for you. And you're like, yeah. Hmm, maybe they just meant that. A <laughs> 100%. 100%. So what, what was your favourite thing about, about drama school? What was the biggest lesson that you took took from drama school? Okay, there's two. So, well, the, my favourite thing was the people. Mm-hmm. My year group um, were so incredible and so loving and balmy and open and playful and my year was just uh, they were just incredible Mm -hmm. so that was my favorite thing the people what did I learn the most is that there's not one way to tell a story everyone's gonna bring their own um experiences thoughts opinions everyone's gonna bring themselves to the project Mm -hmm. and just because you think you have a better understanding of the character, especially if it's not your fucking character. Mind your business. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> because you don't know what that person has been through and you don't know the backstory that that actor has created. It's because I, I think I was very overzealous at helping people. Right. So in school, I'd just try and figure, I'd, tr- I'd be like, well, it's not difficult. I'd try and help them figure it out. Mm. And as time went on, I was like, oh, that's not for me to do because... Mm. I'm disregarding their journey and saying mine's better in mm. a very narcissistic way. Mm. <laughs> yeah, I, I get you. It's I think sometimes it's tricky to to respect that as an actor to an actor. Like maybe as a director, yeah. you you have slightly more authority to go, okay, I appreciate where you're taking this journey, but this this is how I want it to do. But as an actor, you've got to play against this other character right this is who they are you can't change them you've just got to play against them exactly exactly I always find the lessons I learn in in the rehearsal room are so important Mm. um because they're lessons that I can use outside of the rehearsal room in terms of like my real life (laughs) Mm. um you can't change people so just because I'm in a rehearsal room and I know how the play ends doesn't mean that I know how that person's gonna get there Mm. I don't know how the outside world ends Mm. so me trying to navigate someone else's journey Mm. is very ignorant and arrogant of me Mm. so the same in the rehearsal room the same outside of the rehearsal room you've got to let people be people and that's where you find the joys or the the tragedies yeah you know what I mean in the story the connection yeah exactly exactly would would you recommend drama school to people if it was less expensive in all honesty I'm not gonna lie I'd be like yeah 100% go if it wasn't gonna cost people I don't know my time was 30k mm. I don't know what it is right now oh, it was, it's like, 50. I just can't, I can't how can I recommend anyone to do that yeah <laughs> that doesn't make any sense no I like the honesty because also the truth is you'll graduate from drama school fantastic you'll get a nice picture for your parents lovely I don't think there's any picture unless it's one of them, you know, Van Gogh's that should be worth 50K, but okay, right, okay. And then um, you're basically doing exactly the same thing you would have done if you've not gone to drama school, which Mm. is auditioning, watching plays, 
um, reading books, watching films, all this other stuff. And um, it might take you two years, it might take you two months, it might take you 20 years, mm. but hopefully you get to a part where you have a role where you can pay off your student loan. Let's not forget that student loans add interest and all this other stuff. Um, I think it's very naive of us as storytellers to not acknowledge the price that mm. comes along with training. Um, yeah. Because we're definitely not going to pay that off by doing plays, trust me. Sorry, no, I love playing, no, you're not, unfortunately, anymore. Um, I think that's why so many actors have turned to that hybrid of um, stage and screen, isn't it? But I think, I think the reason a lot of people are convinced to go to drama school nowadays is for the connections and the end of year showcase, right? That that promises okay. to kind of get you an agent. Um, is, is that the path that happened for you? you? You did a showcase and you got an agent off the back of that? Um, pretty much our whole last year, so our third year at RADA is pretty much um, productions and they show your, <laughs> your short film that you made and um, you do this thing called a tree, mm. which is the showcase that you were talking about. And a lot of people in my year group were getting offers from agencies way before the tree happened and they signed with those agents and then uh, my agent who I love shout out Scott Marshall partners love them um didn't sign me until the tree mm. I was also very much I was a very different person then <laughs> I'm just surprised that they I love them for it but you know I'm surprised that they You're signed like, why me. why did you sign me <laughs> Yeah, exactly, 100%. Why did you do that? <laughs> I have no clue. <laughs> I, love I don't it. know. Um, but yeah, that's what I signed. I think also for young actors, or any actor, you could be an older actor, and just, if you're new to the business, thinking that an agent or having an agent is your, um, your gatekeeper is not, that's not true. Right. So how does it work? I mean, okay, cool. How does it work? So a direct a writer writes an amazing movie. Mm -hmm. And they managed to get that movie to Paramount. Well, let me not say names. A, a huge production company or whatever, or um, an amazing up-and-coming producer. And the producer manages to get funding and, da, 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 and the movie's been greenlit. Mm -hmm. And then you have a director, the interview director, the director's come on, or the director also wrote the movie, blah, blah, blah. So what happens at a point where they need actors, they go to casting directors and say, here's the script, read the script, bring us these people. Mm -hmm. Casting directors go off and they either put out a breakdown to Spotlight, which you could access yourself, or they send the um, breakdown. A breakdown is the character, what the character, what they're looking for in the character, what the character should do, what the character should sound like, blah, blah, blah. Or they send it directly to specific agents. We can't do anything about that. That's just the way the group crumbles. Mm -hmm. And those agents submit their actors, the actors that they have for the part. Mm -hmm. And then the casting director looks at all the different actors and they go, yeah, I like them. Well, ooh, they're a bit dodgy. <laughs> and says, okay, and takes those actors to the director, producer, blah, 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 whoever, and goes, who do you want to see? And they say, this person, that person, that person. Mm -hmm. And then us actors walk into the room and do our utmost best to get the part. The reason I said the agents 
the agents are great. They sort out your deal. They pretty much take care of you. They're your um, industry parents. Mm -hmm. um, but there is a lot of things that you could do by yourself before you need to get an agent. I'm not saying that they're going to be the biggest project. You're probably not going to audition for Marvel without an agent. Mm -hmm. But for example, Rocks, which is the Netflix film um, where Bookie Bakri and Koza Ali they were just young people at school. They got street yeah. cast. So they didn't need an agent. They didn't need to go to drama school. I mean, if they choose to go to drama school, good for them. Um, but they didn't need to do that to get yeah. into the industry and be recognized as very talented storytellers. So what people think is that get an agent, get jobs. It's not that simple. I'd say the most important thing for young actors, any actors, any age, new actors to do is create real relationships with everyone, not just agents, casting directors, directors, producers, even if your friend's just like, hey, I wrote this, can you read it for me? Create, cultivate, invest in that relationship because 10 years goes really quickly in the business and a director who was nobody 10 years ago could be someone very big 10 years later. Mm -hmm. And just because you didn't um, stay in tune, I'm, this is actually a life lesson that I'm taking for myself. <laughs> Just because you didn't, you know, take care of that relationship, you've missed out on a beautiful part. There's some people that I need to email. <laughs> <Dude>. <laughs> Always. Networking is the most powerful thing in any industry, really, in terms of um, moving on up and just being nice to people, you know? Yeah. Um, 100%. So what was your first big job that you remember getting excited about okay I thought my life was going to change when I did ready player one mm -hmm. and um or when I got ready player one I should say yeah it's this great story where I end up meeting Mark Rylance and uh in Boston and then like six and a half months later I only met him twice he had said to um Steven Spielberg I met this girl called Ronke and Stephen was like let's put her in our movie and I was in this movie crazy <laughs> it, didn't sense. it just didn't make sense I mean but, just um, putting those names in a sentence together <laughs> it didn't make any sense <laughs> how that happened but um I remember at the time I was working in this nursery I was doing like dailies you know we do a day job um, and they were wonderful because they'd let me go off and audition if I needed to. Mm. Um, I was working in this nursery and there was this little boy who literally was like the light of my life. He was so funny. And I just kept watching these mini people have these really like grown up life, you know, situations in nursery. It was, yeah. just was mind blowing. And it came to lunchtime and I went to check my phone. And my agent was just like, oh, hey, Ronks, we've got a call from, um, um, apparently you met Mark Rylance. Well, anyway, he's been speaking to you. <laughs> and they want you to come in for this part. Mm. And I was like, is this a joke? Like, surely this has to be a joke. Mm. So I went in, it was in Acton. I do remember the casting office. I'm just not sure if I can say. Mm. And um, they were like, what do you need? Do you need a kind of Coke? And I was like, no. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> I was, what's going on? And then um, I went into the room and they were just kind of like, so we don't actually have any sides. We just wanted to let you know that 
Stephen's really interested and we just thought we'd put you on tape so we can see where he can fit you in. And I'm just going, what's going on? Like, where's the camera? Because you lot are really joking. Yeah. And so, yeah, a couple of weeks later, my agent was like, yeah, they've offered you the part. They're not sure which part. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, that's what you can do. You can just offer people parts, even if they don't exist at the time. Jeez. Like, you do wonder sometimes how much money these productions have to be able to just fly off with left, yeah. right, and center when there's not a script. <laughs> yeah. Well, listen, it's just, it's insane. Just write her apart. Mm-hmm. Why? I don't know. We like her. <laughs> um, so, yeah. But you know what's funny is that because I had that job, mm. I felt different as an actor um even though I wasn't you know I, I didn't I, did I have any lines I don't I can't remember if I had any lines um I felt different as a storyteller is it more and confident I don't even know if it was confident I felt I felt like it was I felt that it, an ease mm. I mean it was it, it, it is, it still is. He's still here, Steven Spielberg. Do you know what I mean? It, I was like, how did I get here so quickly? Mm. Even though I wasn't necessarily playing a part that was, anyway, it doesn't matter. Yeah. There are no small parts, only small actors. Exactly. <laughs> um, and because of how easy I felt it was, I, um, I had made friends, but only friends in passing with, a young director at the time called Roy Alexander Wise, mm. who is now Roy, Roy Alexander Wise MBE. Just gonna wow. put that out there. <laughs> and um, he was doing this play called The Mountaintop at the Young Vic. And I had met him a couple of times and we were friendly. And I just sent him a message on Twitter, I think it was. And I was like, hey, Roy. <laughs> I was like, it's wrong. We've only met a couple of times. I know you're um, auditioning for this part. I read the script. I'm really busy right now because I'm on um, the set filming with Steven Spielberg. Idiot. 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 I'm such an idiot. <laughs> Name dropping and everything. <laughs> I, was like, I really want to come in and read for Kame. Like, seriously. And then Roy messaged me back going, okay, yeah, you're on the list, but let me know when it's good for you. So this one day I was shooting, I remember I was wearing this yellow, <laughs> this yellow like play suit that was like really low cut, like really low cut. But I ain't got boobs in it, so it's not that bad. <laughs> um, and I left filming, which was all the way in like where Warner Brothers is and came all the way to the Young Vic. Get out of this cab, I come upstairs and I'm just about, just about a little late for my um, meeting with Roy. And I come into the room and I sit down and Roy's like, Okay, let's go. And then I just started doing whatever it is that I do. And I look up at Roy and Roy's face is like, so I was like, is there, do you have any notes? What the, is there anything we should do, blah, blah, Roy was like, hmm, okay. <laughs> and he's basically been my best friend ever since. <laughs> okay, I'm glad I had a happy ending. <laughs> yeah. And Roy is um, the co-artistic director and CEO of uh, Manchester Royal Exchange. Yeah. <laughs> so um, I think 
there's like a couple of sayings like you're only ever as good as your last gig or work breeds work and all this other stuff but I think there's a mindset that comes with um being a working actor I don't want to say successful actor because that makes because even when you're not working you can be successful yeah actually working actor um there's an ease I don't know if ease is the right word I might be selling dreams here you know like do you mean what what I'm understanding by what you're saying there is that the panic and the stress is is less than what it was as kind of when you first entering the industry is that is that kind of what you're talking about no because I think the panic is still there especially if you care about the story and you mm. care about the part I think you become less desperate mm. <laughs> Okay. Because you know what, when you, that's one thing that I definitely recognised started to dissipate was when I graduated from drama school, I weren't really getting jobs. I don't, I don't think I worked for the first four months after, four or five months after I graduated hmm. um, because I was so desperate that the story wouldn't be able to come through. Hmm. I'm trying so hard, I'm trying so hard to act good, act Good, act good, you know, casting director, right. director is just going, ooh, this is a good. <laughs> I see. It's almost, you were trying too hard, almost. Trying you weren't, hard. you didn't let the process do its thing. Or the story do its thing. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. So you started in theatre after after you graduated. Pretty much, yeah. What What was the transition like? moving from theatre to screen? I would do the same um, prep that I would do for my plays. Mm. It depends on what kind of screen role it is. If it's like something where you go in and you're doing the day because your character only, it, your, it, your, your character is there to serve a purpose in that sense. Mm. It, your character doesn't have their own narrative. I wouldn't spend three to four weeks or longer trying to create um, this 3D character. Mm. Even though some people would, and that's great for them, I'd do what I need to, I'd make sure I figured out what that beat needed mm -hmm. for the story, and I'd be that person to deliver that beat, as opposed to my character woke up at 5 a.m. and the dogs are doing this, and the, do you know what I mean? Yeah. Really in-depth stuff, whereas when I'm doing a play, even if I'm entering and exiting the stage, mm -hmm. that deserves four weeks and above working yeah. prep for me. Are you, are you an actioner? Is is that your way of doing yeah. things? Whatever works. You know, sometimes um, it's easier because you create the character and everything starts to make sense. Mm -hmm. it, that also really depends on the way that the script is written. Mm. everything makes sense because you figured out what who what why and all of that whatever your character is mm. but then sometimes it's a lot harder because your character may be less straightforward or have reasons why they do things mm. so if you're doing a line and the line isn't the line either isn't making sense or it's not serving the purpose of that particular beat in the story you you'd have to find different tools mm. to figure out how to make it best work. Mm. So yeah, you have actioning and then you'll have your Meisner or, you know, your colors and all these different things that you can do. 
so whatever works whatever it sounds a little bit method actually your your way of going about things you know what like when I was younger I was like no I don't do method I don't need method (laughs) it's a mix and match yeah you find what works for you you find what works and it's not always going to be the same thing every time I just need to make sure for me to feel safe enough to play Mm. I know who my character is Mm. that's my main thing and sometimes that can take me a really long time to figure out Mm. so if if you had a choice between stage or screen I don't know because they're so different they're so and they they feed you in such different ways Mm. do you enjoy the um the atmosphere of a play, the immediate, immediate audience reaction or? Yeah, I mean, you know, it's really interesting because when we did Three Sisters just now, I hadn't heard an audience respond like that mm. for so long. <laughs> that it kind of shook me. The, the first few shows, um, my character, would you know draw out audible responses from the audience that I was like oh my god they hate me (laughs) I remember saying to Sarah Niles who's the most incredible actress and wonderful person I was like Sarah what am I doing what am I doing they hate me they hate me Sarah was like you tell the story yeah that's it you tell the story yeah and I was like okay okay I can't change anything if anything I have to ramp it up now because I have to tell the story. You kind of get in your own way sometimes, you know, when you are that connected with the audience because you want them to like you. Yeah, I think it's I guess a very so. normal thing as a human to be want to be liked. Yeah. Um, I guess you've got to almost have this, if, if you're playing that kind of character, you've got to think almost like a villain in a pantomime. You want people to... <laughs> yeah. But off with their head, you know? That means you're doing a good job. I mean, yeah, I think <laughs> I think I was really concerned that the audience didn't understand. And you should never, you should never underestimate the capacity of what your audience can understand. I failed at that many times. Yeah. Audiences are really fucking smart. Really smart. But I was like, oh, if they're this angry at her, then they don't get why she's become this person. Mm. And then after I was just like, that doesn't matter. It doesn't Mm. matter. Because you can't understand why people do or don't do things or why people change and do stuff in different ways. If they hate her now, they hate her now. They might like her in 20 minutes. We'll see how it goes. Well, this is the (laughs) thing. And like with... um, um, I guess methods like actioning or um, just going through a script and saying, what do I want the audience to feel at this point? It never just has to be one thing, right? An audience can be angered and sympathetic equally. Absolutely. And it's, it, it is acknowledging that. I mean, if you love this character, even though she's doing horrible things or saying horrible things, that, that means someone else can love this character equally. Yeah, definitely. What, what do you wish you'd known at the start? I mean, I definitely think I wish I knew at the start about the desperation thing I told you about. Mm. 
um, letting the story, let the story tell the story. You don't have to, you're just a vessel, that's it. You're just a vessel. And um, yeah, also in that sense, letting go, the art of letting go, mm-hmm. um, we can get so caught up on really believing that parks are for us or that's, that I should have done that role or that should have been mine or this, that and the other. Um, you need to let it go. That's mm-hmm. my day-to-day thing, let go, let go, mm-hmm. let go. Because not only do, if you spend too much time thinking about what could have been, which really isn't your rea- reality, you're mm-hmm. missing out on your present. Mm-hmm. You're missing out on the opportunity to find <laughs> joy in the moment. Look forward, don't look back. Yeah, forward ever, backward never. That's it. <laughs> That's it. But also, this is another thing as well that I wish I was forewarned. There will be other roles mm-hmm. <laughs> eventually. Yeah. There will be other roles. There will be other roles. And like, what's meant for you won't pass you by, even if you think it has, even if you honestly believe that I should have played Batman, there will be other Batmans. And it might be. <laughs> yeah. And there's joy in that. There's joy in the um, in the recognizing that, that there's always life always has more to offer you. Mm. I think as actors, we can get so caught up in believing that if 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 I could have, if I should have, would have, the the the, oh, it yeah. doesn't matter. None of that matters. No, I agree. I actually wrote a, a, an article the other day kind of talking about the same thing it's like the idea if you're always aiming for oh god it's such a cheesy line but I do like it <laughs> is that like if you're always aiming for the pot of goals at the end of the rainbow you're missing all the colors along the way yeah which is so cheesy but I do like the <laughs> 100% and it's just I think there's so much pressure nowadays not just for people in the arts industry but any industry you need to have found your life partner by your 25 you need to have made a million by your 25 you need to um won an oscar won a nobel Prize prize everything is so rushed it's it's like no you're meant to be living (laughs) yeah yeah but also i guess we underestimate long distance you know um, everything's supposed to be, like you said, supposed to be done. We've got this instant gratification thing on a lot where it's just yeah. like, give me the dopamine instantaneously. I don't have time to wait. I'm going to post that picture on Instagram and I need these likes yesterday. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but this is not a race. You, This is another cheesy one. It's, it's, it's a marathon, mm. not a, a race. And this is the thing, people... People will fall out of love with storytelling. People will decide that buying, I don't know, a house is more important than, you know, getting on stage every day. And we can't judge or, you know, underestimate the need to survive. Mm -hmm. But if we think, oh, okay, look, I've got, if I get here by 24, we need to stop putting numbers on these things. We need to stop marking them off as signs of success because like, people change things change places check physical 
physical places change. Mm. Ice caps melt. Mm. things erode this that and the other. do you know what I mean it was snowing the other day it's sunny today I you know, know. <laughs> that was funny. bizarre like, I was like what what's happening here <laughs> I loved it though it was like snow and then suddenly I was like sunbathing in the afternoon <laughs> and it's just that you can't I get that maybe before those markers at life made us feel like we were living mm. But I think they're doing completely the opposite now. I agree. They've become something of a prison. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Mm-hmm. I think it's, especially with, with people in careers like yourself, because it's so publicised. Yeah. Um, like getting that screen work or getting that stage work is a sign that you're being successful. It's hard not to measure yourself that way. Yeah, of course, of course. But what people don't understand is, yes, that movie came out two weeks ago, but they made it two years ago. This mm. is, that's another thing. People think, oh, you get a job, you make it, and then it's out the same year. This stuff takes a long time. Something you could change in the industry, <laughs> the way things are run. How, how would you do it if you were in charge? In all honesty, the one main thing that gets on my nerves is the fact that actors or their mates, whoever are helping them do self-tapes or whatever, even just straight up auditions, don't get chucked like a tenor because the amount of work that you put in to meetings, for them to just disappear, Like, I, I don't mind the disappearing part, like practicing detachment, great. But the amount of work and brain effort that you put into, sometimes they can send you sides that are like 10 pages long and you're talking for eight pages and they've only given you two to three days to do it. Mm. Some people have to get it done the day before. It's like chuck us a tenor at the, le- the least mm. because there are some people who you know, have bought really expensive lights and they've set up proper, because when the pandemic, well, the pandemic is still happening, but when the pandemonium took over, Mm. everyone had to really up their self-tape game because number one, you weren't, you're supposed to be by yourself. So you can't even have someone reading in. So you've got your iPad set up and your friend on there on FaceTime. You've got this, (laughs) all of this stuff happening. Mm. And you just go, all of that energy you put into your work and then nobody says anything yeah I don't I just that's one thing I change about the industry no it's, it's, it's actually not something I'd thought about before like I, I recognize that people do they spend days hours um preparing something it's it's like I guess you're going into a pitch meeting isn't it you you do the prep beforehand job interview you do the prep beforehand yes but with actors because you're doing so much of it like the job is the auditioning really isn't it yeah lots of cases that um yeah I wonder how that could be possible I mean maybe not with open auditions but with once you kind of narrowed down and you're doing yeah um, I think so I also think it would make I mean, there's two sides to every coin, isn't it? Like, I think maybe a lot of people would stop being seen um, 
by certain casting directors, which isn't necessarily a good thing because well, the casting directors I know who are absolute legends, um, and I can leave a list if anybody wants, um, they're always constantly trying to broaden their horizons, not necessarily looking for the next big thing. But if they find an actor that pops off, great, that's good for them. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think it would make bringing in actors more purposeful because they'd be able to get out of the way. Oh, we want so-and-so. Oh, well, they're working. Okay, cool. Who have you got that um, you reckon? Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, no, I do. It- that's what I think anyway. I, that's what I think. And I, I don't think it even needs to be like 50 quid. Let's start with 10 pound and we can get to 50 quid. In like eight. I like that. I mean, it's not <laughs> reasonable, isn't it? 10 quid for a popper that gets you, that covers your travel. Well, yeah. it covers your, your batteries now and then for those little halo lights that everyone's got nowadays. Yeah. <laughs> Someone was telling me the other day when they do self-tapes, nowadays people have those um like roll up backdrops and they just carry them around with them to like different locations and just pop it up when they've got a time to do a self-tape you see this is the world we live in now yeah that's amazing I mean that would be a nightmare but also amazing (laughs) I know it is it's just go 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 isn't it there's no um sectioning off one last question for you let's go what are the good, bad, and mad things about what you do? I think one of the good things is that with our work, unless you are like a surgeon or someone, you get to see the outcome Mm. or you actually get to feel the response from your work. Yeah. Um, That's a good thing. I mean, it could also be a bad thing because sometimes your work might not bang and people would, you know, (laughs) people are not afraid to tell you, especially in the days of social media, they're not afraid to tell you if they think what you did was shit. (laughs) Always joyous. (laughs) We call them trolls. I call them critics. It's fine. (laughs) Um, A bad thing... It can be very lonely. I'm not saying personally, I love I love being by myself. Mm. I'm probably the bad the bad person to be a spokesperson on loneliness because I love it. Solitude, I think, is the greatest gift of mankind. But um like I have a friend who is going abroad for over a year to film, you know. I know I've got to put more effort into making sure that I check in with him and just be like, hey, what's good? You're right. Mm. But especially coming off the back of COVID, that I'm sure that can be very isolating. So I don't think that's, I think that's a bad thing. Mm. Mad thing is it can take you all over the world. Yeah. And I've been all over the world doing plays. Yeah. We were in India, toured the East Coast, went back to the East Coast. Like I've just, I've traveled so much of this world from just doing plays alone. That it's like, that's mad, you know? Ranke, thank you so, so much. It's been so lovely to talk to you and get to know you a little bit. Oh, thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Good Bad Mad podcast. Please subscribe to check out the next episode or leave a review if you liked it. You can find us on Instagram at goodbadmad 
or at goodbadmad.com for additional resources and information. See you next time.